Well, this morning we come to the conclusion of our series that we've been in for last month called Fresh Encounters. And it's been a series focused on prayer and different aspects of prayer and wanting to encourage and challenge each other and ourselves about how uh, do we engage with God in prayer. One of the quotes that has uh, been in front of us, and I'll just read this quote uh, today as it kind of frames some of what we've been thinking about throughout this series, and it's a quote from a, a book that's actually entitled Fresh Encounters, and it says it this way, I learned that a powerboat is impressive, but its mark of distinction is human creativity and effort. A simple sailboat is average and only able to, be, to move by an unseen uh, supernatural force. A powerboat advances on a predictable journey at the hands of the driver, propelled by man-made fuel. A sailboat is at the mercy of an unpredictable force and magnifies the beauty and the energy of the wind. And so this has been the metaphor of this sailboat, this ship, this idea that uh, there's an interaction between the wind and the sails, where wind represents the power and the presence of the living God through his Holy Spirit. And the sails represents our lives and how we might just position our lives in such a way uh, for God to do a work through prayer. And that when we pray, we are doing that. We are positioning ourselves in such a way that, that God can work in, in a new and a unique way. And so that's been the metaphor and just the idea behind that of what we've been working through as a church throughout this last month. Our desire is transformation as a church. It's absolutely central to who we are and, and what we want to do as a church, who we want to be as a church. Uh, we know that it only happens through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we desire and we long to be transformed people to the glory of God and give glory to God for what he has done and what he is doing in our lives. But the reality is, is that sometimes we might feel like we don't change much, do we? Sometimes we, we think we kind of go do and, and we are walking in the same ways and we're, we're looking for a fresh encounter in one way or another. And there was one pastor who said to another pastor and he was lamenting about this of how sometimes things don't always change a whole lot. And he said to the other pastor, yeah, my congregation is becoming more Christ-like all the time. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And so sometimes that is our reality, and we feel that way. It's like, okay, is anything changing? Is something fresh coming into my life? Is, is God doing a new work? And that's been our, our focus and our prayer and how we want to position ourselves for God to do a unique work. And so this last month we've been giving opportunities uh, for prayer. And today, later on in the service, there'll be an opportunity if you would like, as we are worshiping uh, prayer tables, that you may uh, come and just have somebody pray for you. Uh, we had the prayer summit a couple of weeks ago, and it was just an amazing evening together. We had the lounge was just filled, and we had uh, people praying in different ways. And so we've, we've wanted to give different opportunities and teaching and encouragement to position ourselves for this change this fresh encounter, that God might do new things through prayer. And uh, I trust that we will continue in that stream as we go into 2016. And so today, as we end this series, I want to have us look at Psalm 96. And I'd encourage you to turn there, and you're welcome to follow along. And I want to start by just reading this, this text that helps us to focus on God and this uh, worship-based prayer that we want to focus on here today that I'll explain more in just a minute. But let me just read Psalm 96. It says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. 
each day, every day, proclaim the good news that he saves, publish his glorious deeds among the nations, tell everyone about the amazing things that he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The God of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken, and he will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. And let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the the world with justice and the nations with his truth. It could rightly be argued that all prayer is worship. That's a fair statement. But today what we want to focus on is we want to focus on a certain aspect of prayer that is worship-based prayer, a type of prayer that that lifts our eyes to God. And in this series, we've talked some about at times when we uh, uh, look at ourselves and at other times when we look at God in different ways. And and this focus of worship-based prayer is looking at the face of God, one way to think about it, as opposed to the hands of God. In other words, looking at the character of God and who He is and what He has done throughout the course of history, and not just looking at the good things that God can do and the the gifts that God can give us in life. And so we want to worship God in that way. The very first Sunday of this series, Pastor Harry began by praying Scripture and focusing on how we might pray Scripture through the Psalms and Psalms of praise, psalms of lament, psalms of injustice. They can help form and shape our prayer life. And it's appropriate now that we return to the psalms and we return to this Psalm 96 and look to this hymn book, this prayer book that has guided the church for centuries as we end this series. And as I mentioned, we've talked throughout this series at times about where our focus is. Is our focus on God or is our focus on us? And I think it's okay for us to realize that, that we need to be part of the equation, that, that at times we are focused on our needs and the things that we are seeking of God, and that's appropriate and, and good. We are, are part of that equation of that communication with God. We want God's guidance in our lives. We pray for that. When we go to God in desperate prayer, we are crying out for our needs and some of the conditions and circumstances of our lives that we're asking God to show up in and make a difference in. As we listen to God in attentive prayer, we're wanting to hear his still, small voice again. And so in many ways, there are times, appropriately so, that we are part of that focus and and crying out to God in in different ways. But the question that I've tried to have in front of us is not that it's wrong to have that focus ever, but it's just a question of percentages. It's a question of where is the emphasis on a regular, ongoing basis? Where do we typically go to in our focus as we pray? Does it focus typically on ourselves or does it focus typically on God? Is there an imbalance there in one way or another? Is it consistently on our own needs, our own desires, our own wants, or do we focus on a regular basis on God's glory, on God's goodness, and on what he has done? 
Focus is important, and as I was thinking about this, it, what came to me is this uh, teaching that I've done in, in the past with my kids and with other people uh, when it comes to ball. And I, I brought a ball along. I like these kind of balls. This one has been hit a few times. It's pretty dirty. Um, but whatever kind of ball you might play or have played, whether it's baseball, fastball, slow pitch, whatever, uh, if you're teaching somebody how to hit a ball, one of the things that is important for them to know is what to look at. And what I find is I have taught my kids or other people in playing ball is when they're about to bat and they're standing there and looking at the picture, pitcher, they're often looking at all kinds of things, looking at the picture, pitcher's head, looking at the arms, legs, movements, all kinds of things that can distract. And my comment is always, no, 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 look at the ball, eye in the ball. So before I actually pitch it, I'm always going like this, okay? Where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? Where are your eyes? And it's just a lesson to teach anyone about, okay, how do you hit a ball while you actually focus on the ball? Everything else is really a distraction. So in a similar way, when we are praying, we want to ask the question, where's our focus? What are we looking at? What is it? Are we looking at the things all on the periphery and all around that just sort of distract us? Or are we looking at the thing that is actually going to make the very most significant difference in our lives? In Hebrews, it, it talks about that, about keeping our eyes on Jesus. Let everything else fall away, but keep your eyes on Jesus as our focus. And so in our prayer life, too, what is it that we focus on in our prayer life? Because it really matters. In Psalm 96, again, it's this summons to praise. Again, verse 1 to 3, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things that He does. You know, it's more than an invitation. It's an authoritative command that's given here. It's a summons. It's this... It, this strong invitation of, of praise God in everything, every individual, every church, all creation. It's this all-encompassing psalm that is written to call all creation to praise and to worship God. To sing, to praise, to publish, to tell, to tweet, to post, to text, to email, to live, whatever the case. It's like the psalmist is saying, use whatever medium you can. Use whatever media you have access to. And proclaim the goodness of God. Proclaim the glory of God in all things at all times. Tell the world. Tell the world. The greatness of God. Not because of your circumstances, necessarily. In fact, sometimes despite your circumstances. Whatever it is that you find yourself in, it might be despite your circumstances that you actually come to this posture of prayer, of worship, and of declaring to God His goodness and His faithfulness even though maybe you aren't actually experiencing that in quite the same way right now. See, God is always in the business of doing something new. God is continually doing a new thing. The question for us is, do we see it? Are we positioning ourselves in such a way that we are allowing it for God to do a new work? Do we publish and proclaim this gospel? That we worship a God who saves, who has rescued us from our sin, who has given us freedom from that bondage and paid that price on the cross for us. Today we're going to hear testimony from Scott Posnikoff. He's going to share some of that story of 
that proclamation of that testimony of what God has done and is doing in his life. We need to do that to one to another. When I read, read these words that it says in the beginning of Psalm 96, and it talks about singing a new song, it makes me also think of, of songwriters uh, throughout the ages. And I love to hear new songs written by new songwriters, especially you know when some of our youth and young adults, they start to write songs and they get into it. And it, it just is the outpour of their heart, of their relationship with God, that uh, tells a new story in a new way. And the reality is, is that's been happening throughout the centuries. You know that. Songwriters and poets and lyricists have been doing that for centuries of writing a new song to the Lord, declaring the goodness of God in a certain context and culture and a certain time. Right going back to King David, who, who wrote so many of these things, proclaiming God's goodness. You go ahead many centuries to someone like John Newton or to Fanny Crosby or to the Gaithers or to you pick your favorite writer, songwriter, worshiper, and people who have been proclaiming the good news of God. Uh, one of the most prolific worship songwriters today has got to be Chris Tomlin, uh, of somebody who writes so many songs that are sung by so many people. And I saw an uh, interesting uh, feature on CNN about two years ago that interviewed and was reporting on Chris Tomlin as a modern-day poet and songwriter of, of worship songs. And they stated in that feature that more people have heard and sung his songs than Katy Perry, Adele, and Kelly Clarkson combined. It's astounding. And why? Because he writes songs that people want to sing to. Now, some would argue that his songs are too high, they're hard to sing. But he writes songs that are captivating the heart of God because his songs are about the living God. His songs are about worship. And he invites people to sing. And he said even in the interview... What he thinks about is, is what is a song that people can sing and they want to declare the goodness and the glory of God. That's what his focus is. And I think there is also just a real anointing on his life that God has given him to write these kinds of, of songs. But tens of thousands of people sing his songs every weekend in churches all over the world. In fact, in that CNN report, they estimated that over 6 million people sing his songs every single weekend. Every single weekend astounding. Now this is just one person whose desire is to live out Psalm 96. Declare the things of God. Declare the glories of God. And, and, and to just praise His name. So on Thursday when I was writing this and working through this, I thought, ah, I'm going to go online and we, the service planning is online. And I looked at the, the service planner and I thought, I wonder what songs Tyler picked today. And I hadn't had any communication with him directly about songs. He knew the text and the focus of it. And I looked, sure enough, two Chris Tomlin songs that we'll be singing later on in the service. Again, joining those 60 million people who sing these songs, not because of Chris Tomlin, but because of who he points to in his song. And that's my point, is just this desire to sing a new song to the Lord. You don't need to be Chris Tomlin. You don't even need to like to sing, and some of you don't. You don't even need to be good at singing, and some of you really aren't. But the truth is, is that we all are called to sing a new song to the Lord. And it can happen in different ways. We can let our life sing to the Lord. There's words of proclamation and words that we sing and declare, but there's also how we live our lives. There's our actions that also gives testimony to this. So a question for all of us is, what's the testimony of our lives? What's the testimony of your calendar? 
What's the testimony of your credit and debit cards? What's the testimony of your relationships? What's the testimony of your response to things in life like injustice, disappointment, pain, victory, success, failure, you name it? What's the testimony of your daily decisions? In other words, what's, what's the legacy that you leave behind? And just mentioned Steve Matiko's passing and, and the legacy of faith and a testimony of faith of a life well lived before the Lord. And so the question remains for all of us, what is the song that we are singing today? What is the proclamation and testimony that we will give to God in one way or another? Because how we respond to these things that I mentioned, how we live out our lives in different actions, they all reveal a worldview that we have in our lives, of how we see the world and think about it. It also reveals, it reveals how we worship in terms of how we see God and His place in our lives and how we live out of response to that. Paul talked about this as well in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, where he was writing to the church in Corinth and he was speaking about their lives and the impact that their lives were having on other people's lives and the, the, the proclamation and testimony that was going on in, in their lives in that region of the world. And he said it this way, he says, You're, You are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. And this letter is not written with pen or ink or pixel or keystroke or tweet, but with the spirit of the living God. It's carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. So Paul's saying that for these people, your life is giving testimony to this song, this goodness of God, this declaration of what God has done. And you're giving evidence to that in new ways. So again, the question for us is, does our life give evidence to the fresh work of the Spirit? Both in words and in action. We need to let our life sing to the Lord and to worship God. In 4 to 6, as it says again, Great is the Lord, He is most most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround Him. Strength and beauty fill His sanctuary. And these verses and so many of the Psalms declare the characteristics of God, the truths of God, what He has done throughout the course of history. And here's the encouraging thing. If you think about your testimony, if, if maybe your life is not singing right now, and maybe in your life right now there's just more confusion and questions, and you too wonder if your transformation is stuck. The encouraging thing is that we can still worship God in this kind of prayer. We can still worship God for what He has done. And we've talked many times, and even this morning, I've talked about proclamation and testimony. And I think it's important for us to understand the difference between those two. They go hand in hand, but, but they are, are unique and different. And how testimony is, is what God is doing and has done in our lives, and the impact that God is making in our lives. And proclamation is what God has done throughout the course of history and throughout the world. And so even when our testimony feels stuck, and even when God seems silent, and even when we're going through a season of life that is hurting or painful or challenging or difficult, we can still always go to proclamation. It doesn't matter what season of life that you're in, you can pick up Psalm 96 and just start praying through this as your prayer of God, this is who you are, this is what you have done. Because we never get stuck on proclamation. Last week we looked at the story in in Samuel chapter 2, or 1 and 2 and 3 of 
of Hannah giving her son Samuel to this corrupt church. And in chapter 2, we reflected on that incredible praise of worship to God that she gives. What allows a woman like Hannah to praise God even when she, she gives up this gift, this incredible baby, to a corrupt church after God granted her deepest request? And the desperate prayer that would have come out of that, even after that season of actually giving up this baby, what, what allows a woman like that to do that? It's her ability to see and to do proclamation. To see what God has done throughout the course of history and to trust in that more than fearing a corrupt system. And saying, God, you are good and you are faithful and I trust you and I worship you and I praise you. Even though my circumstances right now might be challenging and difficult. When current life events are hard to sort out and make sense of. And you can go on a global stage to the conflicts in Syria that are spreading refugees out all over the world and some of the atrocities that these people have faced, to uh, an earthquake in Taiwan that we heard about last night where 18-story buildings are toppling on, on people, to a seemingly senseless murder in Lalash that takes the lives of innocent people and cripples a community and causes despair and hopelessness in a new way, and people crying out for hope in that kind of setting. Do your own family context, your own individual situation, whatever the case may be. Whenever we face these things that we don't really understand and can't get our head around and try to make sense of them, that this prayer of proclamation, this prayer of worship is always appropriate. And it also, it, it becomes this declaration of faith for us. It really becomes our battle cry in spiritual warfare. It becomes one of those ways that we can just sort of shout to the Lord and declare His goodness and His promises, even though we might not be feeling them or experiencing them in our own lives, in our own testimony right now. That's why this kind of worship-based prayer is so important for us. As we praise God in all things, in every day, in each unique situation and circumstance. You know, as you look at the book of Psalms, we realize that they are written and they remind the people of Israel of God's faithfulness. When so often we know that they wondered whether God was still there and God was still with them. Had he forgotten them? They're declarations of faith used to build their faith. They're the things that you declare when you're struggling to believe. And my encouragement to each one of us today is that you would make these your prayers, your proclamations of faith, your worship-based prayer in all circumstances. In Hebrews 11, it says it this way in verse 1. It says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is the kind of prayer that that is. It's a prayer of faith. It's, de- it's declaring our faith, but it's also building our faith as we learn to pray in this way. You know, oftentimes we sing songs that maybe we struggle to actually voice the words that we might be singing. I'm sure you've experienced that. I've experienced that many times. Where you're, you're, you're singing some songs and suddenly you think about the words that you're singing and you go, can I really sing that? Do I really give all of my life to the Lord? Do I really lay all of my things down? Do I really trust God in the ways that I'm actually singing and declaring? We might struggle with that from time to time, a feeling that, you know what, as we assess our lives, there seems to be a gap between what we're singing and declaring and how we're actually living and maybe feeling. But it's in those times we also have to realize that 
that these are not an assessment of how we're living. These are a declaration of faith and a statement of faith, not so much in who we are and how we're living, but it's a statement of faith and declaration of who God is and what he has done and what we desire to do and how we desire to live in response to him. So it's appropriate for us to sing those songs, even though we feel like, okay, I don't think I'm living up to that, but it's a declaration of faith and of promise and of direction and of what we hope and what we long for, intent and desire. Then in verse 7 to 10, again, the psalmist says, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory that he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Tell all the nations that the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken, and he will judge all peoples fairly. Again, there's so much in this text that we don't have time to go into it all. But this God who judges the nations fairly. This missional impulse that we see in this psalm of this declaration to the nations. That's why we have missionaries like Leanna who are out in the field declaring the goodness of God to all nations. And now we have a unique season of time, it seems like, when the world is coming to us. And many opportunities to declare the goodness of God to all nations, even right here in our city. To tell people that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. This text is pointing us to. Then verse 11 to 13. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout its praise. Let the fields and their crops burst with joy. And let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth and he will judge the world with justice and the nations with his truth. And it's speaking about all of the heavens and the earth and the sea. And it's this picture of the entire universe all declaring that God reigns. All declaring that God is sovereign, that God is the creator of all things, even when our testimony feels lacking. It's a past truth, a present reality, and a future promise of this declaration of God reigning. It makes me think of in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and following, where it points ahead to this future promise of the returning king and the worship that will happen there and at that time. It says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. It goes on to say, and all the angels were standing around the throne and all around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. And they sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Incredible picture of this future time that is also a present reality of how we can live our lives and sing a new song every single day. To declare these truths, these promises of who God is and what He has done. Many of you are familiar with the synchrotron in our facility. Canadian Light Source is what it's called. Um, last year it celebrated its 10th anniversary. And uh, the synchrotron is essentially a massive camera. It's the brightest light in all of Canada. It produces many different kinds of light. 
that are used for taking detailed images of things that otherwise you'd never be able to see. And it's able to break things down and look at things at a very subatomic level. Recently, uh, a friend of mine, Jeff Renus, who many of you know, and Jeff and Meredith, they're part of our church and they're in our small group. And Jeff shared the story at our small group about going there one day as a teacher and being one who was taking his class there. First of all, the teachers go and they get some training and they get some orientation before they bring their students there. And it's a teacher's workshop. They introduce them to the science and the history of this uh, facility and, and what's behind it. And so they get to engage with the staff and the scientists there. And Jeff said he's able to have some really unique conversations with the different individuals, especially this one scientist, this physicist, the associate director of research, who shared with Jeff personally and just and told Jeff that, you know what, there, there comes a place where all of the areas that we have to study and that we understand and all the tools that are at our disposal and even this amazing facility that we have to measure things at such a minute level, um, they come to the end of themselves. We actually come to a place of not exactly knowing how to go further. And he said to Jeff that many physicists, actually, despite their vast knowledge, come to a point where they cannot explain something. They can't explain it by scientific reason, but they can see and they can point to a phenomena that they acknowledge must be a higher power. And he actually said, he says, you know what, many physicists, actually, uh, some become monks, some have joined monasteries, some go to seminaries, because they actually come to the place where they are led to worship. You might not have used those words, but that's essentially what it is. They are led to worship. Where they see, as it says in Psalm 96, this God of all creation, this God of the heavens, and they're studying things in such minute detail that they actually come to realize that someone, something, had to be in charge of this grand design because it is amazing. And even all our human creativity and all our human ingenuity can only take us so far. And after a point, we are simply led to worship. That's worship-based prayer, where we have a testimony, yes, but it's more about proclamation, about who God is, about what He has done, fueled by God and His character and the glory of God and His work in the world throughout all of history and throughout all of eternity. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for these truths. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. We thank you for the gifts of science that you have given us to study and to learn and to understand so much. But there does actually come a place where we are left only to worship. And Lord, even in our own lives, when we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end of our own ingenuity and our own ability to try to work things out, and maybe it's conflict or maybe it's pain or maybe it's understanding something, And God, we come to the end of ourselves and we don't know what else to do and our testimony feels empty and stale and dry. And Lord, in those moments, may you lead us to worship. May you help us to declare these statements of faith, these spiritual battle cries of who you are and what you have done. And Lord, would you teach us to be a worshiping people, to pray in that way, to declare your goodness, your faithfulness, of what you have done throughout the course of history. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have done in the cross, that you are a God who saves, forgives our sins, and makes all things new again, that you redeem our lives, and we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.